Good evening, everyone. Hope you're all doing well this evening. Welcome to those of you who are visiting online and those who are visiting here for the first time or it's been a while. Good to have you here. My name is Brother Don Cullen. It's my privilege to share the Word of God with you tonight. So I like when Brother Brian's been doing and asking the congregation to pray uh, for me and for yourselves to receive. So just pray along with me if you would engage, please, because, you know, the preacher can always use prayers for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, yes, Lord God, help your servant to share your word, Father. Help me to preach it the way you would want it preached, O God. Help the folks to receive it, Lord, and to be blessed in it and to grow in it, Jesus, and let it stick with them, O God, O Lord. Help us, Lord, to receive your word with the admiration it deserves, O God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for that. I appreciate that. <clears throat> so um, tonight, I'm going to be continuing with this series on what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. In Jesus' teachings, he literally spelled out what it would mean to follow him as Lord and Master. And that's what I've been covering with you so that you might reflect on those requirements of Jesus and do those things and do them even more and be able to better teach others about those things, including children and new followers of Christ. And I'm not going to review all of that tonight because what I want to cover tonight, which is the agape love of God, is a big subject, bigger than even this one message. So I don't want to do a review tonight, but I'll review down the road. And last time I spoke exclusively about the distinguishing mark of the followers of Jesus, which is their love for one another. And that love would be visible to others. Uh, Jesus said in John 13, 35, by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. You know, there's an old church legend that in his old age, this is just a legend, it's not in the Bible, but it's been passed down through church traditions, that the Apostle John, late in his life, he was so weak that he had to be carried into church meetings. I'm not sure if this is before or after the island of Patmos, I have no idea, it's just a legend. (laughs) At the end of the meetings, he would be helped to his feet to give a word of exhortation, and he would invariably repeat, little children, love one another. The disciples grew weary of these same words every time. Finally, they asked him why he said the same thing over and over again. And he replied, because it is the commandment of the Lord. And the observation of it alone is sufficient. Because there's so much in the love of God. There's so much in the love of God. Again, that's just a legend from history. But John, we know the Apostle John wrote a lot about love in the Bible, didn't he? In his, in his letters. 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and again in Revelation. Someone has said once that if the whole world knew there was only five minutes left before a giant asteroid hit the earth, all the phone lines on earth would be full of people calling each other to do what? To tell each other that they love them. That's the last thing we would do. And that's why the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, pursue love. The the agape love of Jesus, the love of God itself, is what allows those in the church to achieve the unity 
that the psalmist wrote about in the Old Testament. How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's the love of God that allows us to dwell together in unity. And that Old Testament scripture is a foretaste of what Jesus would achieve in the church for all the world to see. You know, one pastor encouraged his church to be more like grapes that squish together rather than ball bearings that bounce apart. I think that's good advice. Amen to that. May the love of God help us squish together and not bounce apart. You know, when Jesus said, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another, that sentence contains what Jesus envisioned for his church. People loving one another as he first loved us, then those people intersecting with the world so that the world could see God's people loving each other. That's what he had in mind. That was his plan for the church. Praise God. That's the essence of the church that he established. Notice Jesus also puts in that scripture an if in front of you have love for one another, if you have love for one another. If always means the thing may or may not happen. It's conditional. It should happen. God wants it to happen. He enables us to make that happen. He provides what is needed for it to happen, for God is love. But he put an if in there for a reason, to draw our attention. It's an if. Because it's an if, it's going to have to be focused on and worked on to see that that condition is met. If we have love for one another, and we're going to look at what that love looks like tonight. Brothers and sisters, let's, let's let it continue to happen here. Let it, let it, let's have it happen more and more here, so that those around us can see love in action. Last time I presented a working definition of what God's love is, what agape love is. And I put out there, I think it's a sound definition, practically speaking. It says, agape love is a caring, self-sacrificing commitment which shows itself in seeking the highest good of the one loved. It's not the same as romantic love or brotherly love or friendly love. Not all love is the same. That modern expression that is used in our corrupt world, love is love, that is a ridiculous statement. That comes from hell. That is designed by the devil himself, love is love. What nonsense. Certainly God's love is at a different level. And God's love is the Christian love that we practice. You know, God's love always seeks the highest good of the one loved. And the highest good for the one loved will always be to help that person make it to heaven. That's the best thing you could do for anybody in the whole world. There's no greater blessing that you, could, you or I could give anyone or anybody could give us is to help them make it to heaven. Praise God. If it's not looking out for that person's highest good, not just here on this earth, but in eternity... It falls short of God's love. For God's love is always seeking the highest possible good for his creation. Jesus came to this earth from heaven to achieve that highest possible good. That's what the cross is all about. So that we can have a relationship with God and live with him forever. Jesus showed us the love of God the Father in the flesh, in his own person. And it follows that as we live out the love that he showed us, 
We're going to be seeking the highest good for others in their lives. The Bible says that God is many things. He has many qualities to his nature, right? He is holy and just and righteous, and he's good. But one of the things about God's nature is God is love. 1 John 4, 8 says, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So it says here, he who does not agape, which is the Greek word for God's love, does not know God, for God is love. So let's look at tonight how that love of God plays out in the church. Can we do that? Can we spend a service looking at the love of God and talking about the love of God? I pray we can. Let's trace back love to its source. Where did love come from? It came from God. It came from God. Without God, there would be no love in the universe. That occurred to me when I was studying this word. Without God, there would be no love in this, in this universe. It would be instincts, maybe, if he created the universe without love. But he is love, and so he put love into his universe. Even if it takes a corrupted form, right? Love can even be corrupted, right? Just like a lot of good things in God's beautiful creation have been corrupted. Well, love can be corrupted. But going back to its source... God is the source of love in the universe. The universe was created out of his love because God wanted to create a sentient being or sentient beings that he could have a relationship with, that he could love, and that they could love him. You know, what distinguishes, I was thinking about this during I was preparing this word, what distinguishes man from all other mammals? Well, one thing that's really clear is man, like his creator, whose image we are in, Man has the ability to create. No other creature can really create. I mean, some birds build nests and bees do some things, you know, by by instinct, really. But they all stay within the box of the nest. You know, they don't start building out nests that are one way, and then four years later they're building skyscraper nests. You know, they stay within the confines of their genes. And man certainly has the capacity to feel the love of God. Right? I don't know if animals can feel the love of God. Maybe they can. Maybe we'll find out in heaven. But I know man can feel the love of God. And as I previously shared, when you study the Bible from cover to cover, you see that God's highest purpose is actually for mankind to be loved and to dwell with him forever. That's his greatest desire. That's his greatest desire from cover to cover in the Bible. So the second thing I want to say about love, first of all, God is the origin of love is that love is, su- is supreme above all other gifts. How do I know that? The Bible says, let's go there. 1 Corinthians, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 13 a lot tonight. If you could turn there, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, if you could. The more you study about God's love, the more amazing it becomes. I'm privileged to, have, to be doing this study. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. It says here, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. If you recall a few times ago when I talked about the people in Matthew 7, where Jesus gave an account of people that said, Lord, Lord, 
right? They said, Lord, Lord. And they did all kinds of miracles. Well, it's interesting because this, this scripture here really closely lines up with that. Because these people are doing miracles and expressing the gifts. But Jesus said to those people, he never knew them. So perhaps those people he was talking about really never knew the love of God, because that seems to be the missing equation there, the love of God. Notice how Paul finishes this passage with, if, if I have not love, it profits me nothing. If what we do, including spiritual gifts, are not administered out of love, it profits, profits us not at all. The same for preaching. You know, if, if I don't preach out of love for my brothers and sisters and love and obedience to God, it's profitless to me. It's going to be profitless to you. No matter what we do in Christ, it must be motivated by love. Jesus said, if you love me, feed my sheep, right? And I pray that's what we're doing here at Living Word Church. Now let's jump down to verses later in the chapter. Let's go down a little bit further. Let me just get my next note here. Let's go down to verse 8. I want to be thought-provoking with you tonight. It says in verse 8, it says, Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But... When that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know, just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three But the greatest of these is love. Why is it so important for the disciples of Jesus ultimately to have love? To work at love, to practice love? Well, ultimately, in heaven, when we are dwelling with God for all eternity, all these things on this list are going to pass away, but love will continue. There's going to be no tongues in heaven. There's going to be no interpretation of tongues. There's going to be no prophecy in heaven. There's going to be no healings in heaven. All of our partial knowledge will pass away. You know, when we get to heaven, it's going to be like, we're going to turn in like one book, so to speak, of partial knowledge. And God's going to give us a library of complete knowledge, as much as we are completely known. You know, I believe based on the scriptures, and I'm going to share those scriptures with you, that even faith and hope will either change as to how we know that now, or are going to pass away. I'm going to show you that from the scriptures. Now, there could be faith and hope in heaven, but I'm going to show you from the scriptures why it may be love that only remains. Certainly, we know love is the greatest. Well, you know, right now, if you're going to be serving Jesus in this world, you're going to need hope. (laughs) And you're going to need faith along with your love. I think, as I was thinking about this message, I was thinking about faith and hope like two wings. You know, I need faith and hope to carry me through this life. You know, I'm flapping my wings every day. Jesus, carry me through this life. Faith and hope are carrying me through. But someday, brethren, I'm going to land in heaven. And you're going to land in heaven, so to speak. When we land in heaven, when you get to be in God's presence, faith and hope are going to carry you through this life. But when you get to be in God's presence, you know, you're not going to need faith and hope as you had them in this world world. Maybe that's radical to you, but let's look at what the scriptures say about faith and hope. Let's go there. It's pretty clear. Let's go to, let's go to Romans 8.24. And this is not to diminish faith and hope. 
We need all the faith and hope we can get. Don't get me wrong. But there's coming a day when things are going to change. And love is going to stand. Let's go to Romans 8.24. It says in Romans 8.24, For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. You know, there's going to be a day when, brethren, we're going to see what it is we're hoping for. And the Bible says here, hope that is seen is not hope. Someday we're going to be standing in the presence of God on the new earth, living and reigning with Jesus. Faith and hope will be fulfilled. But guess what, folks? We're still going to be loving. Love is not going to go away. You know, things that you had faith in and hope for, that you saw through the lens dimly, right? Use your sanctified imagination to think of heaven, to think of the angels, to think of the saints, to think of God on his throne. Jesus at the right hand of the Father, the elders throwing their crowns before him, the, the, ma- the majestic beasts of heaven, the, all the brothers and sisters in Christ that have gone on before us, the New Jerusalem, 1,500 miles high, 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles deep, descending... Praise God. And now you're standing in your resurrected body and your perfect body and all these things that you dreamed of and you imagined based on the scriptures, they're right in front of your face. You don't got to hope about them anymore. You don't got to have faith to believe they're going to be there anymore because you're there. Praise God. It also says that, let's go to to Hebrews 11.1 regarding faith. I find this very exciting. I think, it, I think it builds up my faith and my hope, actually. Hebrews 11.1. 1. What is faith? It says in Hebrews 11.1, 1, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But there's coming a day that what we hope for, we're going to see with our own eyes. And faith and hope, which are so necessary in this life, They will not be needed in heaven as to what our expectation is. Now, maybe God will have things beyond that, like that we should hope for or unknown. I can't explain heaven completely to you. But I know what right now we're hoping for, the celestial city, resurrected bodies. I'm not going to need faith when I'm standing in my resurrected body. Now, let's go to one more scripture to to show you this. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1. This excites me, actually. Praise God. And it also emphasizes why we should be taught, concentrating on loving each other and loving the Lord and loving the world so much because love is going to bridge and continue 5 million years, 50 million years, and 5 billion years from now, people will still be loving each other and loving the Lord. Praise God. Now it says in 1 Peter 1, it says, in this, verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith having, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible, inexpressible and full of glory, Receiving the end of your faith, 
the salvation of your souls. You know, the end of our faith is going to be someday seeing Jesus with our own eyes and standing in his presence. And that day, I'm not going to need the kind of faith that I had or the kind of hope that I had, as wonderful as it is now. And it's carrying me through trials, and it carries us through old age, and it carries us through troubles. And that's why I believe in 1 Corinthians, it goes, And now, and now abide faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these, love. Praise God. When we, when we, what we hope for is seen, hope fulfilled, faith fulfilled, what remains? Love. Praise God. I'm excited about that. Praise God. Now this really shows me the superiority of the love for God in all things and the importance of this love lived out one toward another. This love is the distinguishing feature. You know, this world has a shortage of love. I mean, this world right now is a mess. And it gets messier every day. But I praise God that in the church, we can have what the world wants, which is true love. And we get to practice that love right now. We get to practice it right now because we're going to be doing it throughout eternity. So let's talk about this eternal thing called love. What does love look like, practically speaking? This love that is a caring, self-sacrificing commitment which shows itself in seeking the highest good of the one loved. You could call it more simply selfless love. Well, the Bible shows us in particular in 1 Corinthians 13. uh, There's a great listing here of some of the qualities of this love. Like what does this love look like lived out in our day-to-day experience in the church? And I share this message as a reminder, as an encouragement, as an exhortation, as an admonishment if you are falling short in the area of love. May God's word add the increase. This is the love that plays out in the church. You know, I could probably spend an entire sermon on each one of these characteristics. But I'm not going to tonight. I'm just going to touch on some highlights of these characteristics to get us thinking. And you may say, really, Brother Don, you could really spend the whole sermon on each one of these characteristics? Well, I don't know if I could. But Brother Brian could. <laughs> so I'll put it on him. But, but seriously, there, there have been some people... Uh, I remember reading uh, about this pastor who in the course of his lifetime, many years of ministry, he prepared 600 sermon outlines, 600 different sermon outlines on For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but should have everlasting life. 600 sermon outlines. Well, there's a lot to God's love, isn't there? Anyway, we're going to go to this tonight. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. I'm going to read it to you, and then I'm just going to go through some highlights for your edification. It says in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, Love love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Praise God. Love never fails. So let's, let's go through this listing, if you could hear me out on this. Love is patient. Well, the Greek word for patient comes from two words, meaning long-tempered. And it means specifically to be patient 
in bearing the offenses and injuries of others. To be mild and slow in avenging, to be long-suffering, slow to anger, slow to punish. A slow fuse, willing to bear with others even with their shortcomings over a long period of time. I think that's pretty beautiful. I think we could use patience in the church with each other. Amen? Are you being patient with others? Are you hanging in there with them? Waiting on them to change and grow in Christ? You know, when you're patient, you're slow to anger. You endure personal wrongs without retaliating. Praise God. You bear with other people's imperfections, their faults and differences you may have. You give them time to change, room to make mistakes without coming down hard on them. Do we do that, men, with our wives and our children? I pray we do. How about wives with your husbands and your children? Do we show patience towards our loved ones? You know, and when the Bible says love is patient and we should be patient, how can God say that? Because God is patient. He's patient with all the people on the earth. He's patient with the individuals while they live. He's patient with people that oppose him. He's patient with people that hate him. He's patient with people that despise him. When God asks us to be patient with each other, he's already being patient with us. Praise God. Praise God for that. God can ask us to be patient because he's patient. He's long-suffering, the Bible says to us, word. So God sets the example. Jesus sets the example for us. But, you know, that's not enough just to be patient. We may be hanging in there with somebody, but notice here it puts together patience and kindness. Paul links the patience with kind. Love is patient and kind. You know, we may be enduring with that brother, but we really don't want anything to do with that brother in the meantime. But that's not what the Scripture says. That's not what agape love is. Agape love is patient and kind. It keeps being kind while it patiently waits. The word for kindness involves a usefulness to it. It's not just a sentiment. It's not just a feeling or a thought. It's actually an action. It's, it implies a usefulness. So you're being patient with that brother or sister that God put in your life. And while you're being patient, while I'm being patient, and they're being patient with me, they continue in kindness. They continue in useful kindness. They still help that brother. You know, God puts people in our lives to help us grow. And sometimes those people try your patience. And, they tr- and we have to recognize that. But while we're, our patience is being tried, and maybe I try your patience. I know I try some people's patience. I know I do. I share the word of God and they don't even show up at church. So I know I annoy them. Maybe I challenge them. <laughs> you know, John Wesley tried to show love's kindness in the following way to people. This is what he said to the church. Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people so long as you ever can. That's good advice. That's useful kindness, seeking opportunity to do good. The Greek word for kindness means to show goodness. If we have God's love, we must, be, we must continue to be patient with each other and in the meantime show kindness to each other. You know something? Why can God ask this of, this, of, this of us? 
Because God shows his kindness every day towards those who love him and those who hate him. The Bible says he causes the sun, that beautiful warm orb in the sky that fuels the earth and the energy in the earth, he causes it to rise for the unrighteous and the righteous. And he waters the crops of the wicked and the, and the, and the crops of the good. He is showing useful kindness to mankind every single day. So he set the example for us. He's not asking us for something that we cannot do through his love. He continues to be kind to mankind. And how can we do this? Show patience, patience and kindness to others. We can do this because this is what has, God has done for us. It is his nature to be patient and kind and good. He was patient and kind with us before we ever knew him. And he has been patient and kind to us after we knew him. God has been so patient and kind with me that when I remind myself of that, of that fact, it helps me, it tilts me towards being more patient and kind with others when I meditate on that and I think about that. There is no doubt that you and I have hurt God more than anyone has ever hurt you. But yet he has continued to be patient and kind with us and show us kindness. Praise God. The Bible says his loving kindness leads us to repentance. That's amazing to me. God just keeps showing his loving kindness. So that's, that's, that's what we're called to do. Next it says, love does not envy, love does not parade itself, and it's not puffed up. These three are related, I believe. Envy, boasting, and pride. You know, God hates pride. God hates pride. The scriptures are clear on this. He hates pride because he knows our frame. And he knows that we have nothing in ourselves to be proud of, actually. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says, you can turn there if you want. 1 Corinthians 4, 7. For who makes you differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you indeed did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? You know, truth be known, the good things in our lives, we've received from God and from others. Either the gifts or the talents or, or inheritances or educations, we've gotten those things from others. And sure, we have to apply ourselves. I get that. And I understand the word pride is used not in a bad way. You know, it's, it's used often like, I'm really proud of my children, that they're nice people and that they're responsible adults. I'm really proud of my brothers and sisters in Christ. There's a sense of respect about that. But pride in its raw, raw form, the Bible has a real distaste for it. The pride that lifts up self and looks down on others, God hates that kind of pride. Proverbs 16.5 says, Everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. You know, pride of, look at who I am. Look at what I have accomplished. Religious pride, saying, I would never do that. I, will, I always do the right thing. I am better than that person. You know, better for us to say, there but for the grace of God go I. That's a much better attitude. Better to think more highly of your brother than yourself, the Bible says. You know, Jesus was not envious of others. He did not boast of who he was. When he said he was the Son of God, it's because he was the Son of God. And most of the time, he was downplaying all the good things he was doing, right? Go, tell no one. Don't tell anybody. Don't do, you know, he was trying to downplay. It says in Philippians 2, 3 through 8, you're probably very familiar with this. You can turn there if you want. Jesus is our example of why we should walk humbly 
Everything we've received, we've received from him. Let's go there. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. What an example our Savior Jesus is to us in this area. Philippians 2, 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let, let each of you look not Look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross." Jesus is our ultimate role model for not being jealous, of not boasting, and of not walking with pride. The Bible says we should think of ourselves soberly, as God has given out his gifts according to the measure of our faith, and to not think more highly of of ourselves than we should. And this is the love of God worked out in the church. You know, better to be lowly and have God on your side than to be prideful and be lonely. Next it says, love does not behave rudely. Meaning love is considerate of others and even of social norms. Again, this is all part of the oil in the church to help people get along. You know, God's love is polite. It has good manners toward others. You know, I've heard brothers and sisters say, sorry, that is just the way I am when they are rude. (laughs) But love is not rude, the Bible says. So if you are by nature rude, work on it. Get a book on how to be polite. Work on it. If you're rude by nature, work on it. Love is looking out for the highest good of the person that you are interacting with and doing it in a respectful manner according to acceptable practices. This is one of the reasons why the Bible says that when we speak the truth, we should speak the truth in love. You know, we can speak the truth in love Letting that person know that we are speaking not to hurt them or to put them down, but so that they might achieve the highest good that God has for them. You know, when we speak to people bluntly, we should take the time to qualify and set up the direct thing that you were about to say. Listen to the person. Empathize with the person. Let them know that you love them, that you want the highest good for them. They will feel it. Then tell them the truth. You know, God is not, why, do I, why does God ask, ask, this of, ask this of us? Because God is not rude. He does not drop in in the middle of conversations or tell people off, though he probably has every right to, right? The Bible describes him in the book of Revelations as barging into the church, kicking down the door of the church. No, he stood at the door and knocked. God is polite. He respects the will of our hearts that we have. Love is not rude. Love is polite. Next it says, love does not seek its own. The New Living Translation says, love does not demand its own way. You know, and this speaks of God. God himself is not a bully. He does not override people's will. He does not always get his way. So why should we? God does not even get his way in every situation, though he is sovereign over all, and though ultimately... He will have his way. He will have his full will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Praise God. But in the meantime, he respects our free will. He respects our bad choices, even though he stays after us. Praise God. Jesus, as a man, he did not want to suffer and die on the cross, but he said to his Father, not my will, but your will be done. So we too should be flexible, even if it means not getting our own way. The Bible says all of us, as Brother Ben recently covered, should submit one to another. That's what people do who love each other. We don't always have to get our way, praise God. C.S. Lewis said something. The rule of heaven is, thy will be done. The rule of hell is, my will be done. I think that's well said. Next it says, love is not provoked. You know, provoked means easily irritated, easily aroused to anger. In other words, love is not annoyed easily. It does not provoke other people to annoy them. You know, love is not on a... uh, hair trigger. It's not ready to explode at any moment in time. And I must say, I must confess to you that this is an area that God has really worked on me. For many years after I was saved, for many years as a Christian, I used to be irritated much of the time, easily provoked and easily angered in certain situations, especially, you know, in the privacy of your own family. The stresses of life in my job would put me in that edgy state a lot, and I wasn't giving that stress to the Lord enough. I had a short fuse with those I loved. I confessed that to you. But God has helped me, and I praise God for that. My fuse is way longer now, 99% of the time. I'm not perfect by any means, but I'm closer to perfection than I have ever been in my life. And I praise God for that. And what has given me this victory in my life in this area? i got to tell you, it's the love of God. The love of God operating in my life has helped me overcome this weakness. And I have to praise him for that. God is my role model. He has, he has shown me in his own character that he is not that way. He is not irritated by me, though so many times I have grieved him. And so who am I to be short with others? Amen. And I say, thank God he is not easily provoked, right? <laughs> that he's not irritable <laughs> or easily stirred up. Thank God that he does not deal with us according to our sins and our shortcomings. Thank God that he does not deal out to us what we deserve every time we mess up and disobey him. It is his great mercy toward us. And so we should show great mercy toward others. Praise God. The next characteristic of selfless love that seeks the best for others is to think no evil, which most translations translate as keeps no record of wrongs. I came across a story. One married man said to his friend, you know, every time my wife and I get into a conflict, she gets historical. And his friend said, historical, don't you mean hysterical? And he said, no, I mean historical. She rehearses everything I've ever done wrong in the whole history of our marriage. Oh boy, she gets historical. That's keeping score. That's keeping score. That's not God's love. Being historical is not agape love. You know, it's very easy to keep score with others. It's easy to hold on to grudges, to harbor resentments, to have a long, long memory for past hurts, but that's not God's love. Love thinks no evil. It does not hold on to even bad things that were done intentionally or unintentionally. I pray that you're living a life where you cannot remember past hurts. 
And I pray that you do not have the memory of an elephant. Because I guess they have pretty good memories, I've heard. Are you dwelling in the past? I know this much, that Jesus felt pain and Jesus suffered. But he did not keep record of our wrongs. While he was on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. When Jesus sat down at the right hand of God the Father, he, didn't, he wasn't like, time to settle some scores now. No, he sent the Holy Spirit to the church so that the church could go into the world and make his enemies his friends. That's how God operates. That's how we should operate. I praise God for that. It says in the end of Jeremiah 31, 34, For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Praise God. I pray the Lord helps you in that area. If you're keeping a record of past wrongs, I pray that God give you the ability to have a clean slate with your brother or sister. Go the extra mile to see that this happens, for that is the love of God. Next it says that love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. The English Standard Version says, love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. You know, love is not happy when someone messes up. Love is not happy when, when sin is going on. One thing about love, it is always grounded in the truth of God, in the truth of God's word. It's not wishy-washy or without boundaries. You know, if people are talking about love, but they're not grounding themselves in the truth, it's not God's love. There are certain immutable truths. God is good. God is love. His word is truth. God made men and women. God made marriage. God created babies in the womb. God created eternal life. The Bible says that. In in Titus, it says, In hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. Eternity is real. We will spend eternity with him or without him, in his presence or away from him. At the core of agape love is truth. You take out the truth, like they're doing in progressive Christianity today. You take that out of the equation. It is no longer the love of God. Love rejoices when truth is upheld and when truth wins. It is never happy when sin wins out. Next it says in 1 Corinthians 13, 7, it says, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I call these four the optimism of God's love. It bears all things. You know, the word bears in the original, it means to produce a roof over to build a roof over. Love builds a roof over other people. Love builds a roof over and covers other people's shortcomings. It doesn't gossip. It doesn't talk about bad things. It doesn't spread an evil report. It builds a roof over other people's mistakes. It forgives. It covers. And that's God's nature, right? Right from the Garden of Eden. He slew those animals and blood was shed to cover up the sins of Adam and Eve. One of the things I thought about when I was preparing this word is a little saying. Love that bears all things, this word, bears all things, does not bear all things. In other words, love that covers does not uncover It feels grieved to do so. It doesn't want to talk about other people's shortcomings. It wants to build a roof over them to give them time to recover and repent. 
And isn't this the way our God operates? It says in Psalm 130, If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? God has always been working to build a cover for his people. Next it says, his love believes all things. Other versions say, never loses faith or always trusts. What does this mean? Does that mean you're supposed to be gullible? You know, a fool? He's supposed to be a fool? No, definitely not. For Jesus said to be wise as serpents and gentle as a dove. But God's love in us, it remains optimistic, brothers and sisters. God is optimistic. Do you know God is optimistic? Even with all, the, all he knows and all he sees from his perspective, he still sees a good outcome that is coming. The Bible says, have the faith of God. God believes in good outcomes. The Bible says, we should believe in good outcomes. You know, recently I read a book and the author, author defined God's wisdom and his love and his sovereign grace working. This is how he described it. To accomplish the most good by the best possible means for the most people for the longest possible time. You know, from studying the Bible, I believe that is the God I know. He's working to accomplish all the time, day and night, night and day, through his wisdom and through his spirit and through his knowledge and through his power and through every means he has available and through his love. He's working at all times to accomplish the most good by the best possible means, for the most people, over the longest period of time. That encourages me. That encourages me. That's who he is. That's how he operates. And knowing that, it helps me to keep my faith alive. And and it's going to keep me believing in the best possible outcomes for people in my life. I don't care where they're at right now. Even in the face of disappointments with people or circumstances, love believes all things. I believe my God is always working. Praise God. And right along with that, my, the partner to faith is hope for the same. It says hope. It hopes for all things. In Romans 5.5 5 it says, Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Faith and hope help carry me along to believe, to be optimistic about the best possible outcomes for people in my life and in your life and in the city of Syracuse, and in our nation, and in this world, until Jesus comes. Almost done here. Next it says, the love of God in the believers, it endures all things. The New Living Translation says, it endures in all circumstances. As I dug into this, the word endures is a military word, apparently, or it was used by the military, meaning to sustain the assault of an enemy. It has the idea of holding up under trial, of perseverance in spite of difficulties. It means that love hangs in there. It is not just a passive, stoic attitude. It is a positive, triumphant spirit that sticks it out. You know, there's an epidemic in our land of Christians bailing out of tough circumstances. People that don't like something in a church, they go find another church more to their liking. They run into problems or disagreements in their marriage. They grow tired of the effort and they bail out. They bail out of relationships with long-term friends. But God has called us to continue with each other in the body where he has set us in all circumstances. Love endures all things. 
You may recall that one of the marks of disciples of Jesus that I covered is Jesus said his disciples would abide, which I defined as they will stick around. They will stick around. Even when there are circumstances that may try their faith and make them not want to stick around. They stick around with other believers through those circumstances because of the love of God in them. And who is our example in this, brothers and sisters? Jesus is. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Talk about sticking around. I am with you till the end of the age. Talk about sticking around. So why can't we stick around? Jesus is sticking around. Can't we stick around for him? Love endures, praise God. And ultimately, his love never fails. The word fails means it never ends. It never ceases. It will never stop. It will never cease. It will never fail. And if you have the love of God in your life, it will carry you successfully through this life and into eternity, across the threshold of the door of death into eternity. And I praise God for that. And it will be love, God's love. It will be the preeminent sentiment forever. Heaven will be full of immeasurable, currently unthinkable love. And that's why it's the mark of the one true God in his one true church. His love and his love expressed to other believers forever and ever. So I praise God for this. I praise God for this. It's, it's affecting my own life, and I pray it affects your life also in that way. And so that's the message for tonight. Praise God. So I'm going to close with a word of prayer and send everybody on their way. Heavenly Father, thank you for your, your wonderful, wonderful love and all its wonderful qualities that you've poured out on this earth, Lord. You are love. I thank you so much for the love of the brethren in the church. I pray we would... We would work on it more and more because there's an if in there. You said it, Jesus. Lord, help us to live out your complete love in our lives in every dimension, in every way, so that the world might see the love of God in the church and be drawn to your son, Jesus, who loves us so much. Thank you for my brothers and sisters. May the word stick and bless them as they go their separate ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for your attention. Hallelujah.